0: This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Blue Research. Knowledge sharing on financial research. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Swaha Patanayk, the Head of Publishing. Today's topic is one that all of us want to know more about what lies ahead for economies and markets in the second half of 2022. Joining me to discuss this is Monica Defant, the CEO of the Amundi Institute. Monica, welcome. It's great to have you with
1: us. Thank, thank you, sarah and good morning to everyone.
0: Great, well, let's launch into it because Amundi's latest investment outlook is called Life Above Zero. One thing that is definitely above zero, Monica, is inflation, as we've seen. U.S. consumer prices rose at an annual rate of 9.1% in June. That was the fastest pace in four decades. Nor is America the only place where inflation is high. Galloping prices hurt households and companies. Also, these elevated levels of inflation are forcing central banks to hike interest rates. That's a pretty toxic mix for growth, Monica. How much do you think all of this will hurt the global economy?
1: So uh, I would love uh, to have a crystal ball to answer to all uh, these questions you have been asking. But uh, starting uh, from the uh, economic outlook and the risks uh, that uh, we uh, we see attached to growth, unfortunately, all the risks that we have been citing during the spring, namely persistently higher energy and food prices, the prolonged conflict in Ukraine, a green reporting season in the pipe, are now materializing. Therefore, we progressively slashed down our global growth forecast for this year and 2023. For the second half of this year, we see deterioration to uh, 3%, um, faster than what we were expecting before, with some idiosyncratic stories worth mentioning, but we project a broad deterioration looming only in 2023, so uh, no recession for uh, 2022. Uh, With reference to the US, uh, still we are attached to this idea uh, of a soft landing. We expect a long period of super growth in the US um, over the last quarter, Um, at the end of the year, um, we expect to move below uh, 1%, but not an outright recession. All the signals that uh, we are uh, monitoring do not point to a consumption, uh, contraction, interest rate sensitive areas of the US GDP, such as the residential equipment investments, uh, do not highlight extreme GDP vulnerability. So the situation today seems to be less vulnerable when compared to previous tightening cycle. However, there is one have it uh i would like to uh drive your attention to which is the u.s consumer and the change in habits uh in the saving ratio so
0: what are you seeing specifically in the u.s to drill down a little bit deeper
1: Well, on the us the big questions is the u.s in the re- in a recession in 2022 or not um we do not believe that the u.s will enter uh, an outright recession uh this year, uh, this will come next year. Uh, What we do expect uh, for this year is uh, deceleration that is uh, uh, much faster than what we were uh, previously projecting, while uh, the deterioration will uh, materialize um, in the second half of, of next year possibly in the the first half. This is the the real risk. Why I'm saying so? uh, Because as of today, still the US uh, consumer uh, is reasonably healthy. Um, Interest rate sensitive areas of US GDP, such as residential and equipment investments, do not alight uh, extreme GDP vulnerability. But Uh, we are seeing a change in the consumer behavior, namely in the savings ratio. So still we anticipate a slight decline for the time being. Should this prove more remarkable, then the the deterioration of the US growth might be brought forward to H1 next year. I see.
0: I mean, one of the reasons people are drawing down on their savings, I presume, is because they're paying higher prices and to maintain consumption. The, the U.S. consumer might be all right to do this. But in other parts of the world, do you see more vulnerability, say, in Europe, which is more exposed to gas prices and, you know, the high
1: prices for energy that people are having to pay? Well, Europe uh, is much, much fra- fragile from um, various angles. First, uh, we entered uh, the the crisis much weaker than the uh, than the US and and some countries in the in the rest uh, of the world. Still, we did not recover uh, the, the the level uh, we had before uh, the, the the crisis. Uh, then there are some countries that are more vo- more vulnerable than, than others, such as Germany or Italy, because over their uh, geographic uh, proximity and or their energy dependence, and then uh, inflation uh, in a region that is uh, that is fragmented. So all these uh, these elements um, are really playing uh, for an adverse scenario uh, in the in the, in the euro area, uh, where it is not only energy prices but also food prices, unfortunately, uh, that are afflicting uh, EU consumers. That when compared to the U.S., for example, have not uh, get the benefit that U.S. consumer uh, got from the uh, from the from the fiscal side, no wages increases. So, if I have to spot a region uh, that is uh, weaker uh, than the others, definitely would be Europe. Let me look maybe a little more
0: positively at where do you think is going to be more insulated perhaps than Europe? Is there anywhere globally that you're looking at that will come out of this in a little bit better shape?
1: Well, there is, uh, before we conclude on Europe, um, mm-hmm. the, the fiscal layer uh, might kick in and uh, try uh, to uh, to solve uh, or uh, kind of softening the, the pain. And usually, you know, in Europe, you we prove to be active and reactive uh, at a time of a crisis. So still uh, there is uh, something in the pipe on the fiscal side that uh, might came later, come later, uh, as uh, things uh, deteriorate further. Then uh, looking around, uh, there are definitely some areas that are more insulated uh, from the from the crisis per se, namely uh, emerging markets, in particular China, uh, where we turn more constructive recently because we have seen uh, still accommodative uh, policy stances, but also the remove progressive removal of the uh, zero tolerance uh, to covid restrictions. So we expect China to be back on a positive quarterly uh, dynamic. Absolutely. You were talking about the fiscal space in Europe.
0: The problem in Europe is that the ECB, after a long, long time, is finally gearing up to raise interest rates and make monetary policy less accommodative. It's always been there, backstopping the economy during crises in the last decades. So, do you think that the ECB and other central banks that are talking tough on inflation will? Just ignore what's going on on the growth front, leave
1: governments to it and do whatever it takes to get inflation back under control. Well, we are entering uh, really hot uh, weeks uh, on, on this front because uh, on July the 21st, we will have a, a DCB um, having their monthly meeting and possibly announcing something on the anti-fragmentation tool. So uh, there is a lot uh, on market uh, participants expectation. Honestly, uh, we are a little bit more cold. We do not believe that details uh, will, be, uh, will be delivered. Um, we think that, uh, obviously, uh, inflation, as it is for uh, the United States, is the key target uh, for the uh, ECB. But as it has been the case in the past, it is probable uh, for the ECB uh, to play um, a, a second uh, a, a second role uh, in the in the game, having uh, the fiscal delivering. Before uh, they um, they they can do uh, they they can act more boldly on the market. Obviously, this will depend uh, on the level of the spreads. So, in case uh, uh, the BTP boom spread raises 300, maybe uh, the ECB uh, will will run a, a bit faster. But uh, uh, as long as the spreads will remain. Decently under control, Uh, they will continue to try uh, to buy time and 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 fight inflation, having in mind uh, that while we do expect uh, the U.S. inflation to peak uh, between June and July, um, this will the peak in the euro area will possibly materialize in Q3. Obviously, uh, the um, the dynamics of of energy prices and the evolution of the uh, energy crisis might push forward uh, the peak. But this is what we are, we do have uh, on our radar so far.
0: Perfect. I mean, there's a huge amount of challenges to to face for investors. Are there any sort of pointers that you'd give in? investors about what they should be thinking about as they sort of look into the second half of the year areas and the asset classes or in regions that you pick out or perhaps bits of the stock market that you're looking at that might be a little more sheltered from all the storms you've faced through?
1: Yes. So, first of all, uh, as investors, uh, there are some sentinels we are monitoring on the geopolitical, on inflation, on the monetary policy, and on the earning seasons, all all these uh, uh, all these elements have both uh, short and medium uh, to uh, to long term consequences. If we look at risk sentiment, is still off despite some marginal uh, improvement. Uh, there has been no capitulation so far on the on the equity side. So financial conditions are stressed but they have not been passing through uh, fundamentals so far. And moreover, there are some tentative signals of trend and market condition restoring uh, in in place. So current levels on the equity front do not uh, discount fully uh, a profit recession, although uh, they've been adjusting, while they fully discount uh, the central bank's uh, hawkishness, So it is too late uh, to sell, but too early uh, to buy indiscriminately. So uh, what we would suggest uh, on the equity side, as economy is slowing and EPS downgrades have not really started yet, uh, we basically have a preference for defensive over cyclicals. Indeed, earnings downgrades will primarily impact cyclicals, uh, where, the, for example, the 17 cyclical sectors in Europe, 14, have margins at their 19th percentile of historical range I highly agreed. So uh, many defensive have already outperformed strongly by anticipation and and then we need to look at defensive opportunities uh, in a less traditional way if you want, Uh, more looking for persistent profitability and margin sectors with pricing power where cost increases have been less severe and less exposed to the pressure on consumer uh, expenditure. Then search for quality. Uh, what does it mean? Low leverage, robust margins, visible growth, which is a, a, a clear and through conviction at this stage, and it can be found uh, with more granularity on stock on stock picking. So quality can be found potentially in all sectors. Uh, rates uh, neutral duration, positive breakeven, cautious on uh, peripheral. Commodity uh, might be considered uh, as, a, as a diversifier. Uh, as you know, we have these uh, long term uh, trend call on commodities and uh, watch out gold uh, might be good uh, to have some gold at least uh, as an edging, uh, for edging <laughs> purposes. Um, so. Uh, Maybe I going to say, something yeah, for well, everybody
0: there.
1: Yeah, we're missing effects so on the US dollar, and I'm pretty proud because we were, you know, calling for this priority uh, back, uh, back yes, in January. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, good call. And we've seen it now. Yeah. Yes, you know, and and being right on uh, FX is uh, just so challenging, but we see a strong US dollar in the second half of this year, as recession uh, fears coupled with this hawkish Fed would be a strong test for most of the G10 uh, currencies, so clear the recession is a strong support for the U.S. dollar, and we expect that to work as long as the Fed stays hawkish. Uh, so, we think it is early, and we expect a short-term undershoot of the target, with the euro continuing to flirt uh, with uh, with parity. So, as long as the Fed stays okay, the Swiss franc and the Japanese uh, yen might um, might be the only alternative uh, to the uh, greenback with a little bit of less conviction on the yen.
0: So, Monica, if you can get foreign exchange forecasts right, you can probably see into the future better than the rest of us. So let me put you on the spot and ask you, you've given us quite a few things to perhaps fret about in the second half of the year. What are you feeling when you look ahead into h 2
1: well, um, I'm an optimist uh, by by nature, but I'm seasoned enough uh, to understand uh, how um, how big are the risks and um, constraints that uh, that we have before. So um, it's uh, really a lot. It's on the ends of the uh, of the geopolitics, the geopolitical the political environment, and the and the policy authorities to turn all this mess around uh, and allow us to, to move back uh, flirting with potential growth at least and lower level of inflation. Great. Thank you very
0: much, Monica. Lovely to have an optimistic note to end on at least. Thanks to all of you for tuning in and we really hope you'll join us again next time. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Mundi.